This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and a podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get on to the episode. Welcome to the Big Ed Idea Podcast, the official podcast of Big Brothers Big Sisters of Southwestern Indiana. Together, we will embark on a journey of mentorship, connection, and the life-changing power of relationships. Each episode, we will learn from authentic conversations with bigs, littles, experts in the field of mentoring, and other defenders of potential. Whether you are a seasoned mentor, a curious listener, or someone considering joining this incredible community, kick back, unwind, and come along for the ride. Now... Here's our executive director, Ryan Scott. Hello, hello, and welcome back. Welcome back to the Big Ed Idea Podcast. Uh, Man, I'm so excited to be back with you, and I'm extremely excited to welcome the very first uh, former big to our show. Uh, Very, very excited to get to talk to the one and only DJ Quinn. Um, If you don't know who DJ is, you need to rush out, or I guess you don't need to rush out. I guess you can get on Amazon because... DJ is the author of an incredible book. Um, I'm about a third of the way through it right now, but his book is called Stick Figures, A Big Brother Remembers. And uh, the, the the brunt of this episode is going to be about his book and about his experiences as a big. So I don't want to give away too much, um, but I do want you to know that DJ was a two-time Big Brother, Big Sisters volunteer, and he currently assists with mentor programs in the Pierce County Juvenile Court System. That is something I used to do. So I I definitely uh, see the importance of that. Uh, Quinn's honest and humorous writing style was developed in previous editing and writing jobs for airline labor unions, lifestyle magazines, and real estate advertising. He is the second oldest of nine children raised in Helena, Montana, but he currently resides in Gig Harbor, Washington. And I've got to say also to our listeners, DJ is so awesome that he agreed agreed to record this episode at six in the morning. So uh, without further ado, Mr. DJ, welcome to the Big Ed Idea Podcast. Thank you, Ryan. Glad to be here. Well, I really, really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. Um, kind of as we were talking about previously, I've had... I've had a slew of folks on here. Yeah, slew. That's a Southern word. I don't know if they use that up in Washington or not, but we have had a slew of experts um, around, you know, some of those things that keep kids from reaching their potential. Um, But, you know, I'm extremely excited to have you today because you get to literally tell us about um, your journey as a big, um, and what that entailed and, and, you know, what led you to write a book. So yeah, DJ, super stoked to have you on the big ed idea podcast. Well, I'm glad to be here. Yeah. So, um, 
One of the things that I carried over into this position and into this podcast was the idea um, that, you know, connections, connections are where it's at. And I think uh, big brothers, big sisters, that's that's really what we're built on. Uh, you know, we're kind of built on the, the premise that um, people are made for connections. People are built for connections, that we're wired for connections. And so prior to jumping into the meat and potatoes of this podcast, I want our listeners to know who DJ is um, as a person. And so I asked you to bring us three words that describe life right now. So talk to us, DJ. Uh, what are those three words? Um, the, fir the first word would be content. Uh, um, the place I'm in in my life, I feel a lot of peace. I feel um, I had just uh, retired last year. Oh, nice. And so this, I just completed the first year of retirement, which has been nice. Uh, not necessarily having to, <laughs> you know, follow the clock or a lot of commitments. And, and so I feel just real content where I'm at as, you know, in my life and, and pretty much as a person. Um, the second would be gratitude. I feel an enormous, enormous amount of gratitude for oh, yeah, definitely the people in my life and for the people I've met and for the opportunities that I have had um, all the way through my life, uh, through my couple of different careers that I had. And then also for being in this position right now where I can do what I enjoy to do and, you know, also keep involved with the community. And the third would be, it's a real reflective period of my life. My father's oh. 94 years old and have spent, you know, a fair amount of time going back out to Montana to spend time with him and, and my brothers and sisters. And, uh, uh, it one at, hit at that point where I'm 67 years old and, you start looking back a lot. You start looking at, at what I've done and how I would have maybe changed some of that stuff of how uh, I let a lot of opportunities go by to get to know people better. And um, so I, tr I try to work on those sort of things, things now, you know, when I meet somebody, I try to find out as much as I can about them, um, what they enjoy doing. And um, all in all, it's a really, really great, great place to be. in. I feel um, so that's that's kind of what life is like right now. We're still really active, and I love living where I live. And uh, yeah, it's been a great ride so far. Keep Man, it going. I love, that. I love that. I love that. That that. So what's so okay? Um, prior to retirement, were you like a guy that was on the go all the time? Prior to the retirement, I was working in uh, real estate. We had a little team of us that were working together, and I did the marketing and the financial end of, of that. And it was pretty much the whole real estate scene was 24 seven every day of the year. <laughs> <laughs> and so now uh, with that behind me, uh, I'm able to continue doing the writing and whatnot, but it's on, on uh, things that I like to write about. It's not so much housing and marketing and all yeah, that. It's yeah. uh, um, and so that has, and prior prior to that, I was worked for an airline for 26 years as a flight attendant, and that was a real unstructured job in the fact that you would have chunks of time where you were working and chunks of time where you where you're off. So um, this is completely different. It's all the time off, but time to do what I want to do. I love that. I love that, man. That's that's so good. And congratulations that you're in that spot. You know where, um, like you said, like those connections, you know, really thinking about your family and getting out to Montana and, 
um, it, it's got to be a really cool spot to be in. And um, I'm a 43 year old, so I've still got shoot 30 years <laughs> um, <laughs> until I retire. But um, yeah, I love it, man. So, okay. Thank you. Thank you for being vulnerable on that. Um, so you talked a little bit about who Dennis is, but, but if you want to go, you know, you can go as deep as you want. Who is Dennis outside of being an author? Outside being an author, uh, I am uh, uh, active. I like biking, um, some travel. Um, I, like I mentioned before, I have two uh, dogs that kind of rule the uh, <laughs> rule the, the roost. household. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I'm enjoying time in my relationship. I've been uh, married for the last ten years, and we've been together for forty years. Oh wow! And cool. that is really great. Um, I have a good good circle of friends out here that I do a lot with that uh, are pretty much like-minded people in how they treat others, which I enjoy. Absolutely. Um, we get, and uh, the fall of each year, we get quite wrapped up in University of Washington Husky football. <laughs> and that was a great run last year. So we're coming off of that right now. <laughs> oh, I love that. So, and okay. Then, so in relation to, to Washington, cause I, I, sorry to interject. There was a time in my life I almost moved to Olympia. Um, I was going to go to um, Evergreen State College. I, I spent a week mm -hmm. there going through Evergreen because I wanted to study at that time in my life as a as a 20, 20 year old. I was going to study sustainable architecture and Native American studies. Um, loved, loved, loved the school, but I couldn't get over the rain and the dreariness when I was there. Um, mm -hmm. so where, where are you in relation to Olympia? Uh, we're just a little bit North and West. Oh, okay. cool. It's about a 30 minute drive from there. Um, and you go to Tacoma and go West across the Narrows bridge and that's where gig Harbor is. And oh, so it's, uh, it's, I spent, uh, several years up in Seattle and then moved down here in 1998. So we've been here for 25 plus years. And the dreariness you talk about is I think what gets a lot of people when I was flying, it wasn't as bad because during those dreary months, you would get out of, of here for a few days at a shot and see some sunshine yeah. here. Uh, usually try to take a trip sometime during the winter months to get away from it. And fortunately I live in an area that's a little bit clear of trees. So you can, you can see it's not the claustrophobic of if you're in an area with a lot of, lot of trees, like a neighborhood like that. So Nice. Very nice. Okay. And, and a lot of coffee too. Uh, that's yeah. <laughs> a lot of coffee. That helps. A lot of coffee. That helps. Yes. I get that. I get that. Okay. Um, so DJ, you came on today um, to talk about stick figures, uh, which is your, is it your first book? Yes. Awesome. Excellent. Okay. So, you know, I do want to um, talk about the book itself, but I think, you know, just from reading it, the book itself is kind of your story of mentoring, right? And so maybe, you know, as maybe to talk about the book, we need to talk about, you know, what got you into Big Brothers, Big Sisters and what your um, story was like as, as, a, as a big. So if you want to, let's go ahead and dive in for our listeners. Um, what got you to be a big, who was your little, and then, yeah, just run from there, man. Okay. I, when I was living at home, there were nine kids and both my parents were there were, were a real presence in our, our life. And 
what actually got me interested in Big Brothers to begin with was television commercials about oh. Big Big Brothers that okay. help a little kid for you know two hours a week or whatever. It's not that much time. And I told one of my sisters that if I when I if I ever moved away from home, I would become a Big Brother, and that's what in fact I did. I started working out in, in Minneapolis in 1979, and in 1980, I. I signed up for Big Brothers. I was matched with a little brother, Scott, who was 11 years old at the time, and I was 23. And that match went on for four years officially, and then I transferred to Seattle. And, oh, and we yeah. still continue to keep in touch. I talked to him this week. He turned 55. And, oh, and wow, that's awesome. AARP. <laughs> And during that, I was able, I, I was served as his big brother. I mean, uh, his best man. Oh, and, wow. Um, godfather to his son. And so we've, we've maintained for since 1980, uh, ongoing relationship. Um, then when I moved to Seattle at, at a, after the period of time, I decided I would be a big brother again. I went to apply and that got held up a little bit because of, uh, uh, the the policy they had for not accepting gay applicants. And oh. I was in a position in my life where I was not going to go back um, and be dishonest about my, my sexuality. And at that, at the first, uh, the first orientation meeting, the guy got up and said, we're looking for heterosexual role models for oh, our man. Oh, man. kids. And it turned out that Seattle was one of the few in the country because there were pretty lawsuit that was restricting gay applicants i met with the executive director and then wrote him a letter after our meeting and and uh several months later he called me and told me that they had changed their policy in oh, line with most of what the uh, u.s has and so both he and my husband and i uh, both my husband and i ended up applying to be big brothers at that time and and December of 92, I was matched with Mike, who was a seven-year-old kid with uh, some neurological and physical handicaps that was had been a foster child for most of his life in and out of homes and was being adopted by the woman who, who was his foster mother for the majority of that time. And she was 63. And so I was matched with him at the same time my husband Joe was matched with a seven-year-old kid named Nate, uh, who he's still in touch contact with um so my my work with mike was was uh a, a lot of it it was a real slower paced and it was he was a very lovable kid and very immature for his age his adoptive mother wanted him to learn boundaries things like that and it was a very very great match where we did stuff every couple weeks um very simple things very simple thing you know go out to the park and walk around go go to movies uh bicycle ride all those sort of things um and then when i moved down here in 98 which was six years later they our match was officially closed because we were outside of the the jurisdiction area of that that agency but i continued to see him and when he hit puberty, he then unfortunately inherited his biological mother's mental illnesses. And he began on a path of, of, uh, of mental illness that led to hospitalization and in and out of group homes. And, and uh, that is what the book covers is that whole period of time that I knew Mike. And he 
when I first met him, they said he had trouble with transitions. And the book name comes from the fact I gave him a calendar the first day I met him. And we would sit down at the end of each meeting and draw little stick figures on our outing, what we had done while, we, in his, while his mom was there and we talked. And so he had a record over the f several years of of the of what we had done, the, the little stick figure calendars. And those calendars eventually after he got moved around got got lost and whatnot. But that is where the name and the concept of the book came in and then it ties together in the end. So for me, it was a uh it was a process of just working with him, really enjoying the time with him. It was a good time for me to help him when we would go places he had horrible speech problems and he gradually was improving that but he i would have him do all his ordering and talking to people so he would get comfortable and you for me it was a huge lesson in acceptance all the way along you know i couldn't control his life i couldn't fix things but what could i do to help him feel more comfortable and i learned a lot through that whole experience Mm, yeah, I love it. I love it. And so we 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 still are in touch with Nate, and uh, the book spans over a thirteen year period, and it is it started to be out more. Uh, I was going to write it as a uh, as his story, but it turned into be a little bit more we, and it turned into be a lot about me and what I learned and what I got out of out of the mentoring. And that is what I was surprised to find when I became a big brother the first time is how much I got out of it, how much I learned about other people, how much I learned about my boundaries, how I learned how I would treat other people. And, and just spending that time was the most valuable thing that there ever was uh, for me. And I think also for the kid, um, you know, it, it, it makes a significant impact on both of the, the child's life and also the adult and that's what I try to encourage when other people talk about being a big brother. That's the type of message I try to give them that is you'll be surprised how it affects you and how it helps you. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So that's, that's where it is. The book, you know, is, was a powerful thing. I wrote it over a period of years, finally finished up, up when I retired and uh, hopefully it's a good tribute to him. Uh, the woman who adopted him, she passed away. And I still was in touch with her, uh, you know, her, her, her kids that, uh, you know, are, are still in the area. And that. so it's been a long, long-term relationships. And, and that's one of those things that I'm very grateful for that. I had that opportunity that I took the time. There were a lot of times with Mike, especially towards the end of the journey where I thought, am I wasting my time? And because it, yeah, the unresponsiveness, but it, it, it wasn't lost time. It taught me, it helped him. And it just, if nothing else, it gave him a sense that somebody was still in his life that had through the journey that he had taken. So I love it, man. I love it. Yeah. Um, what a powerful testimony to, uh, both Mike and, and your relationship. And, um, I, I gotta know, I've got a couple, as you were talking, I wrote down some questions, um, that I'd like to touch on, but so, so what were you doing or, or where were you in your life? You know, when you, when you decided and you had that, that idea, you know what, I need to get this to paper. What were you doing when that creative idea popped into your mind? 
Actually, the first day I met Mike after I, <laughs> we had the match meeting at his house, I went for a walk and I it flashed through my mind that someday I'm going to write a book about this um, because I like doing the writing and whatnot. And I just knew from my first little brother experience that it was a long-term commitment. And I knew from seeing Mike that day that there were some enormous challenges there, but this was a really lovable kid. And it's in some way was going to be a unique experience. And that is where I, when I decided, which, which sounds kind of like I'm following him around for a movie script or something, but it wasn't that it was just that I knew that eventually I was going to write, do a lot of writing and that this was an opportunity with him for a really unique experience that was going to impact me and to see where it went with him. And it took a, uh, the, the, the turns in that it took were much different than what I thought they would be, Sure, but it was, it was a pretty rich story. I love it. I love it. Um, what, what, so reflecting, what was your number one best memory with Mike? <laughs> My best memory was, uh, there were a lot of great ones. One of the most powerful was we had gone after five years, uh, I arranged with his mom that I would take take him down to Disneyland and oh, we were cool. in the hotel that night and he was just so excited and on and on talking and he's on one side of the room I'm the other and and then he we got around to talking about what he would would what would you like to do Mike what would you like to to do when you're older for work or something like that and he told me that the all I want is to be a normal kid. Oh, and that just struck me so hard because there that was out of out of out of reach with yeah. with some of the stuff he has had that might be out of reach. But I tried to reassure him that you are a normal kid. You like doing normal things kids do. You like, you know, we like we do a lot of stuff together and that. And then he said to me, he's, he had speech problems. He's like, uh, uh, he says, I, 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 I got a lucky life. He says, I, I got a, a good mom. I got a nice house. I got you. I got Jake, my dog. I got a lucky life. And, and for that, to hear that come out of him and 10 minutes later, he's sound asleep, but to hear that come <laughs> out of him where this kid is appreciation, what, appreciating what he has, despite his challenges, that was pretty profound to me. It really hit me. Man, I love that. I love, and I can, I resonate with that because I, as a high school administrator, um, primarily the one that, that dealt with discipline, the number of kids that would come into my office um, and were referred to themselves as bad. Um, and over and over and over, I told them that life is the hardest thing anybody ever has to do. Um, and, and that they were not bad and that I believe kids do the best they can with the skills that they have. Um mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I, I get that. And, and, and it's sad, but I've seen similar things. And so it's great that Mike was able to have that opportunity um, and really that moment of vulnerability with you. Um, some kids just don't get. So that, that was really, really awesome. Um, you touched on this point a little bit earlier. And, and when we're out um, talking to folks in our community, 
um, because we service about 360,000 people over six counties. Um, We talk a lot about the fact that, you know, you go into this thinking you're going to change a kid's life. um, But really what ends up happening is they change yours, (laughs) right? Um, So my question to you is, how do you think Mike changed you? He made me, he helped me become more aware of what it was like for a child with disabilities and the struggles that he went through. He helped me understand the potential of of a child who all of us, when he got adopted by Betty, when he got put in Big Brothers, when he had had those experiences and how much he progressed. He learned to read. He learned to be comfortable. He was on the, the swim team. He did a lot of, of things that he never had the opportunity to do, and he really enjoyed that. And you could see the progression in him as he was, you know, moving from this and this. His interests were a little bit more well-rounded than he had before. And it was just really, really great to see the progress he was making. And then when the mental illness hit, it was the reverse of that. And it showed me how difficult it is for some of those folks that have mental illnesses on, on a certain scale and that for the, how hard it is for them to live in the community independently, how limited the resources are for them to live in the community independently and how just showing up could, could help him and hopefully make him feel better and supported. Um, So it it really changed my outlook on things. I still have some friends here in, in Gig Harbor that are, are mentally challenged and, um, you know, neurologically impacted and still get together with them. And I try to remind myself that for them to live independently, it takes a lot of people to help them out just to be there, to be supportive, to maybe take them grocery shopping once in a while. And I, I need to remember that, that I have a part in that and I can help them in that little bit to help them live independently and enjoy their life. Yeah. I um, and that. I learned that from Mike. Yeah. I love that. And I love what you said. Um, Cause it's so true. Um, like I said earlier, life's the hardest thing you ever have to do. Um, I, I point to this um, the second and I just re- just looked at this again yesterday, so I know it's true. The second fastest industry in the world is life coaching. Um, so if adults um, don't have it all figured out, you know, and, and they're reaching out to, to folks to help them through life, um, imagine how your kids are, um, and especially our kids that, that, that maybe don't have the number of positive connections that you or I had um, growing up. So... Mm-hmm. Um, I got to ask you, um, you know, if, if there's somebody that's listening to this and, and they're on the fence about whether or not, you know, they want to take this jump, um, this three hour a month time commitment that we ask, um, what would be your elevator speech about why they should join big brothers, big sisters? My elevator speech to him was it's the greatest thing you'll ever do for yourself, whether it works out or not. Um, And it's a great thing for the kid. And uh, I know it's a commitment, but how many hours 
a day do I spend on my phone? Sure. How many hours a day do I spend on the computer? Yeah. And I can give two or three of those to a kid and uh, it will, it will make me learn you the volunteer will be amazed what you'll find out and it gets you out of your own world um and you know it's it's great probably great practice for having kids except for the joy of this one is after three hours you can wash your hands <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah i get that i get that so okay you've given us a lot of information you've told us man i i would have loved to meet this mike guy um he sounds completely up my alley um as somebody that developed some pretty intense mental health issues about 15, 16, and, and struggled with them for about 10 years. Um, I know what that's like. Um, I would have loved to have met him. And, and I've got to, I've got to think that, you know, the love and the, the, the compassion and the support that you showed him, man, you, that's, that's gotta be incredible. Um, talk to our listeners before we start to wind down about stick figures, um, a big brother remembers how can they purchase this book? Where can they go? Um, yeah. Um, they can, they can purchase it on my website, which is DJ or Amazon has it also. DK DJ Quinn Correct. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And um, and it's a it's a quick read. It's I've gotten really good feedback on it. It's it is a quick read. It moves pretty well, and there's it's it's impactful, and hopefully it will make them think about what their own roles are with some someone in their community, someone in their family. Um, it's it's heartfelt. Um, and, and yeah, that's, that's where it is. I, you know, I did it. A lot of this is to give him, him a voice. And from that anonymous who, you know, kid to, to show people that, Hey, there are some really valuable, beautiful people in this world. And most of them aren't on TikTok or on, on front and center in the world. They're, they're living in our communities and, and whatever little bit you can do to help these kids out, to help uh, a challenged adult out, every little bit you do, do helps them out. And it helps me and it helps you when you do that. So I love that. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. Um, Big Brothers, Big Sisters National, um, they have this campaign out right, right now. And you kind of spoke to that. It takes little to be big. Um, if you are listening, it really doesn't take a lot out of your month um, to pour into a, a child. Um, here at Big Brothers Big Sisters of Southwestern Indiana, we enroll kids ages 8 to 16. Um, we have about 90 kids on our waiting list right now, and two-thirds of those are boys. Um, so if you are listening, we would love to have you join our family to help us defend the potential of all kids um, and when I say all, I mean all. So we are looking for bilingual bigs, um, particularly to help us reach out to our Marshallese, Haitian Creole, and Hispanic population. Um, we are also intent intentionally looking for LGBTQ plus bigs to help us walk alongside, like we said, all kids. Um, 
And so DJ, man, I just want to tell you, I really appreciate the time that you have spent with us this morning, um, getting up super early um, to talk to us about the relationship that you had with Mike all those years. Um, the book that you have written, which which I think is really a tribute to that relationship. Um, and so, DJ, thank you. Well, thank you for having me on. And, and, you know, the most important thing you can give to the to a little is your time. Absolutely. You don't need to know anything. You don't need to know how to do it or talk to them. You just show up and do it. And uh, that's the key to it. And everybody has that ability to do that. So I, I appreciate you having me on and I really appreciate the work you do. I, big Brothers and Big Sisters is one of the best organizations for helping folk, kids out because it's that one-on-one and -on -one, uh, has a lot of flexibility and it's a lot of fun. It is <laughs> You'll find yourself doing stuff you haven't done since you were a little kid. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> okay, to my listeners, once again, I appreciate you for spending your time with us uh, whenever you spend your time with us, time is finite. So the fact that you are spending it with DJ and I tonight, today, uh, just means the world to both of us. So thank you. And I'm going to leave you in the words of the immortal John Janoski, who was the best grandfather anybody ever had. Uh, he would say, Ryan, until next time, I will see you in the funny paper. If you found value in our discussions and believe in the power of mentorship, please consider contributing to our mission. Your financial support plays a crucial role in what we do. To make a contribution, visit our website at www.mentoringkids.org. Every donation, big or small, goes a long way in helping us to defend the potential of all kids within our six-county footprint. Once again, Thank you for being a part of this community. Your support means the world to us. Together, we can create a ripple effect of positive change. Stay inspired, stay motivated, and remember, we are better together.